Hello, and welcome to the Modern Maker podcast for June 21st, 2018, otherwise known as, well, it's the first day of summer, but we're going to put summer on delay because it's also Go Skate Day. And it just seemed too fitting with, you know, we got Wobi doing all the skateboard stuff. We got Ben making stuff out of skateboards now. Couldn't not do it. Yeah, yeah. Have you, have you guys ever been much of a skateboarders? Well, I was if you count inline skating. <laughs> oh, snap. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I got a vision in my head, you know, uh, pastel yep. shirt, inline skates, yep. hookah shell necklace, hookah shell necklace yep. fanny pack, just uh, Sony Discman. How many pockets were on your pants at this time? <laughs> About seven, all filled with Pop-Tarts. <laughs> <laughs> no. All right. All right. So what are you guys well, working hey, on? Before we get into that, we got to do a little house, house, housekeeping. There we go. So we've oh, been kind right. of teasing it, talking about that we want to do a live 100th episode. And uh, some stuff fell through, but we're still scrambling to put it together. And so we finally have some information. So And good news. It's good news that we are going to do it. So the information that we have so far, and again, we're still finalizing all this, is that it's going to be Saturday, July 21st. And it's going to be at a store called Local Fixture in Whittier, California, which Whittier is a suburb of LA for anybody that doesn't know. Um we're, like I said, we're still figuring everything out, but we're thinking it's it's going to be kind of smaller, probably about 50 people. So we're going to go ahead and make a website that'll be, there'll be a link on the Modern Maker Podcast website, but it's modernmakerpodcast.com slash MMP100. That'll take you to the page. It's got what information we have now, and we'll update it with new information as it comes out, because there's probably a good chance that we're actually going to have more information by the time this podcast comes out on Thursday. But um, on there, there's a form. So if you're interested in coming... No, I should, let me rephrase that. If you're interested and actually can come, because, you know, it's far away and if you can't travel or whatever, don't, don't say that you're going to come because you're going to be taking somebody else's spot who might actually be able to come. So long story short, go fill out that form. That's going to send us an email so that we'll have an order of when people have RSVP'd or, you know, shown interest of coming. Once we get all the details worked out, what we'll do is we'll send out an email to the first 50 people on the list and um, it's going to cost some money. So it's basically, there's going to be beer there, that, which, you know, I'll be drinking. There's going to be beer there. Um, <laughs> We're going to get a keg of Oduls. Yeah. <laughs> Two kegs, one Oduls, one something alcoholic. And then um, there's going to be food there as well. So the, Basically, what we're going to do is we're going to figure out all of the costs associated with it and then just divide that by how many people are going to come and it'll be a good time for all. Yeah. But the but the really cool part is the guys at Local Fixture, they actually listen to the show. Yep. And so they're kind of opening the doors for, uh, you know, allowing us to do it. So exactly. the ticket is going to be, it's going to be cheap. It's just going to be enough to cover the cost of food and drinks exactly. so that, you know, we're not paying a lot out of cost. We're just breaking even on it. We're not, you know, making a bunch of profit or anything. So it's going to be a ton of fun. If you can make it, make sure, follow that link on the website and uh, we will follow up with you as soon as we have all the details that we get as we get there. right and we'll talk about it more here and on instagram you know if like if it fills up something like that we'll try to keep everybody updated totally but what are you guys working on this week so this is actually a pretty busy week for me i just posted the skateboard lamp video shout out to ben from Wobi design i posted that on monday and then uh, i got two other videos coming out this week uh, I finally broke down and made a workbench. After all these years of building stuff on the floor, um, <laughs> I, I, I def- finally uh, decided to bite the bullet and build a workbench. But it's, a, I think, a little bit different workbench than what people are typically used to, be, uh, used to seeing. So most of the workbenches I've seen have been really focused on woodworking. But you know, wood is only one of the many materials that I use. So I wanted something where I could use it as a welding table, use it for woodworking, use it for all sorts of assorted other kinds of crafts and making projects. So I have also always wanted to be able to clamp things down to the middle of the table. And I've never really liked the sort of, you know, where it has the holes drilled out and they use like the dogs or whatever those sort of systems are. I've just never thought they were that good. So I made what I'm sort of calling a split top workbench where there's a channel about three and a half inches wide that goes down the center of it. So you can actually reach into the middle of it and clamp things down to it. This also lets me change out the wood top with a solid steel top. And when I was at the steel yard getting the steel for the base, the whole base is made out of uh, L sections. In the scrap bin, I found this really cool 
about 80 pound piece of a steel channel that's about a little more than a quarter inch thick. So it's, it's a really big industrial piece. I cut it down to about three and a half feet long and that can just go right over the wood. And then when it's not in use, it, it goes down on a shelf. But, uh, so now I have this, like, uh, you know, I can instantly switch from sort of woodworking to metalworking. I can use the steel top to like hammer out like copper pipes flat was one of the first things I used, used it for. Uh, I can clip my uh, my welder right to it and then use it as a welding table. So it's it's a pretty big workbench. It's eight feet long by about 32 inches wide. And uh, the top's all made out of two by fours and the base is sort of welded steel. Now, the coolest part is it was the first time I really got to use our new maker brand clamps in a product or in a project. Uh, You know, me and Mike have both done two by four butcher block style slabs before, and they're not that easy to do. Two by fours are often pretty warped. um, And to clamp them together, you need a lot of force. And these maker brand clamps are kind of perfect for that because they have about twice the travel of a Bessie clamp. And because they also have perpendicular handles and they're almost built like a vice uh, you can get a ton of force and really straighten and flatten out those two by fours. The other cool thing is that they have positive stops. So in the past, I've used a lot of clamps from Harbor Freight and they're not bad for the price, but the, the body of them is aluminum. So when you really put a lot of pressure onto them, uh, either one, the, the sort of their halfway positive stop just like fails and it just starts sliding or the aluminum bar that's holding the whole thing together starts to twist and then you're not really in plane anymore. So it was like the perfect application to test out our, our new product, which we are launching. Sweet. So I've got to ask, how was it? Was there any flaws that you saw or was everything positive? Um, they're definitely heavy, right? I mean, that's, that's the first thing you notice. There's no plastic in them. So just picking up and moving them around, they're not as light as the Harbor Freight clamps, which are aluminum since the, the bar on our clamps is, it's almost like a T section and it's all steel. Everything on these is steel. There is zero plastic, zero aluminum. So they're definitely, uh, you get a little more of a workout moving them around. I think they're, what I like about them so much is that they're, they were created with sort of us in mind. Like we're not fine woodworkers or craftsmen. I'm speaking more to me and Mike than, than to Chris. But they are these, you know, just super heavy duty, really rugged, and you can apply a lot of force. So it's sort of a combination of like a vice uh, and a clamp all together. So, you know, it's not something that I think if you're making, if I was making like a really precise kitchen cabinets and stuff like that, they honestly might not be the clamp that I reach for, but for sort of everyday use where I got to force things into place and, you know, bend steel with them or, you know, make a two by four slab, or even like in the case when I was working with the deck boards for that tiger wood tabletop, I had to get a, a ton of pressure on the ends of those warped boards to kind of straighten them out. So for that kind of stuff, it's all, it's perfect. So, if, you know, anytime you can get the force of a vice, you know, in a clamp to help sort of straighten and, and manipulate things where when, when your cuts might have not been perfect is a, uh, is a good tool by, by me. Awesome. What if when you asked Ben how it was, he's like, yeah, I'd give it a solid C minus. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that would have been terrible. But, but yeah, what are you working on, Chris? Let's hear, let's hear what's going on in your shop. It's crazy because it's been such a long time since we did a live podcast. I was just thinking about that today. I know. Like, We're getting back into our groove a little bit, I feel like. Yeah, so if I had to think of the big thing that I've been working on in the time since we last podcasted and talked about what we're working on. So I finally broke down and, and am doing some patio furniture for our house. Like, you know, we fixed up our backyard probably a year and a half ago and like still don't use it that much. And now we have a trampoline back there. So it's like we've been spending more and more time back there with, you know, neighborhood kids coming over and everyone on the trampoline and in the summer we like to do outdoor movies and stuff so i'm like okay i gotta i gotta get this under under control here so i decided to make my back backyard look like it was designed by chipotle and uh, you'd think i'd be sick of plywood (laughs) by now but apparently i'm not so did a bunch of plywood i actually i think it was the most plywood i've ever bought at one time i went and bought 10 sheets at one time and so far i've used eight of them and i still have a coffee table that i have to do but basically what i built was so a big section that can seat like eight people in an l-shaped section with a bench and then a 
bigger storage area that, and actually the one part so i take that back it's not eight people it's 12 people because the big storage bench that i built is actually two-sided so half the people could sit on one side of it and then the other people would have their back to them sitting on the other side cool and then on the back of the bench side i took a cue from ben and did a stand-up area behind it kind of like he did on the zigzag couch oh nice so the the thing is my backyard it's like got a cement slab in it that then you step down about like 10 inches to the grass and so where the grass is where the step down is i made it so that it comes up so that it would be like a standing height table but if it were all on even ground it would seem like kind of a weird low table but because of the way my backyard is it should work um and then i still need to figure out what i'm going to do for a coffee table but I'm going to eventually do that. And then probably not right away, but I'm going to do a dining table also. So eventually, like once this whole thing's done, like it'll be able to accommodate like, I don't know, probably 16, 20 people, something like that, that can be standing around eating. So, you know, a good half of a decent sized party that we would have at my house can be accounted for just in this one little area. And there's going to be a lot of storage in it. And so it should be really nice to use and and provide a lot of utility for us but yeah i really like the idea of this project or this whole kind of outdoor patio kind of set is it it, that's what it is it's like a set of furniture where everything matches and kind of goes together because we're all building individual projects for the most part and the coffee table you build you know anytime would usually fit with any kind of media console that you would normally build right but these are kind of designed to specifically mesh and all be a part of the same group so that's exciting yeah it's interesting i want to see how it plays out because you know, a normal piece of furniture that we build, since it is more of just like one piece, a person can look at it and be, if they like it, then they can go do it or whatever. But this, you'd really have to almost just like interpret it to your own space. You'd just be like, uh-huh. okay, I like the idea of doing this, but you're obviously going to have to change something because mine is built for my space and not everybody has the same space. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that's received because of that. How are you planning on putting the videos out? Are they like everything's going to be individual? It's definitely going to be at least two videos, maybe three videos. Um, and so, yeah, I was thinking about what to do with it. And then Ben actually gave me the idea of doing it on like a Tuesday and a Thursday, if it's going to be two videos. And if it's going to be three videos, probably do like a Tuesday, Thursday, Tuesday. So they're all close enough that like if you discover it on that first one, you're not waiting around for you know an entire month to see all three videos. And if you discover it a week after it's out, then all three will already be out. So what you're trying to say is you're going to be dropping a deuce. Dropping a triple. <laughs> a trace. Well, no, not if you spend it Tuesday and then next Tuesday. Yeah, I guess t- a technical deuce is on the same day, Mike. Oh, is I don't it the same day? I just and... thought, it was, I thought it was same week, not same day. I don't, wow, eh, I'm getting rusty. There's different interpretations. Okay, yeah. Well, because I was going to say this week I'll be dropping a deuce. Oh. Um, so the first video is going to be the inaugural Gary build. Uh oh. So whenever I moved out to Joshua Tree, <laughs> the very first project I did was a dining table with a set of matching benches. And for y'all who have been following along, you're probably familiar with Gary. He's the chipmunk looking squirrel that lives in our backyard. And there's about 20 of them. And uh, <laughs> we've pretty much domesticated them and totally feed them every day. They're 100% dependent on us. We are their sole providers now. And it's going to get bad when you guys leave. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> but. Uh, I've been I've been toying around the idea for a long time. Ever since I saw the video with that, what is it? It's like a big, it's it's a pretty big looking hamster, but a guy makes this little tiny burrito for it, and then the the hamster eats the burrito, and then you know that's gotten a few million views. And I think Carl's uh-huh. Jr. or somebody even did like a spinoff of that for a commercial. So, hmm. anyways, the long story short of it is, I'm seeing this hamster getting millions of views. And I'm trying to ride that gravy train a little bit. <laughs> Get you know? on the hamster. <laughs> and so, hamster burrito craze. Exactly. So for the first Gary video, which I only ever plan on doing one or two, if the videos end up being fun and people like them, maybe I'll give Gary his own channel. But I definitely don't want to turn Modern Builds into the, into the Gary channel at all. But I took a bunch of paint stir sticks and I cut those down on this little miniature table saw that I bought from Amazon and basically made a replica of that two by four and steel dining table, but just turned it into Gary size and also picked up some little, uh, what would those be like dollhouse plates so that I could put Mm -hmm. some granola on there and get some really cute shots of him on it. I've teased a little bit of it on my Instagram, but that video should have come out uh, Tuesday or Wednesday this week. So 
Either way, it's before this podcast has come out. Go watch So it. I spent a little bit of time, got a little bit creative with the video. I think it's kind of silly, kind of funny. But yeah, if you guys dig it, I don't know. Let me know, and maybe I'll do, a, do one or two more. But it'll have to be a while, because I'm back in Oklahoma now, for those who don't know. As you guys know, I moved out to Joshua Tree so that we could do the bus, but we have experienced quite a few delays in that process. And I just got an offer, uh, one of the kind of bigger offers, or at least bigger in terms of the impact that it'll have on kind of the future with Modern Builds is Home Depot offered to do a bathroom renovation video with me, which that'll be the mm. first time I'm working with Home Depot. Um, I've done yes. a couple of things to promote the Home Depot card once or twice, but this is, you know, working directly with Home Depot for Home Depot products or, you know, products at Home Depot. And uh, it's the first time that I've gotten a big sponsor like this for any kind of renovation projects, which are what I want to do more and more of. So, Number one, I could not be more excited for it, but they kind of gave me a, if it could be done in July, that would be great. And so I figure I'll drop the bus, come home, renovate that bathroom along with one other project. And then uh, Haven is actually kind of in the middle of July, uh, which is a conference similar to WorkbenchCon, a little bit more blog oriented than, than YouTube video oriented. But the game plan is to build all this out, head out to... South Carolina, I think, where Haven is, uh, do that, and then come back to Joshua Tree after that and start working on the bus. Um, so I flew in this weekend, and I left my laptop at the security checkpoint in LAX. Oh, no. So that made me so nervous. I was I was scrambling to get there. We got caught in traffic, and I got a notification on my phone about 10 minutes before I got to the airport saying that the plane was boarding. So I'm literally running through the airport looking like that dingus that everyone looks at. And is like, well, it looks like someone doesn't manage his time well. And, <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm scrambling through the security line. Like everyone in there was really nice. I was like, hey, guys, I'm really sorry. Uh, is there any way I could cut every single person in this line so that I could get through this gate? And, there, and everyone was nice. They're like, yeah, we understand. I was incredibly apologetic. But as I'm scrambling to get all my things together... I forgot. Laptops are always in a sec separate bin. So, you know, I threw my boots on, didn't tie them. I had my belt in hand and I'm like running to the gate so I can get on the plane in time. And I, and I just totally left Ugh. it behind. But when did you realize it? Yeah, I that's what I was that. about to say. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm, I'm about an hour into the flight whenever I oh, realize, because I was listening to, uh, I was listening to an audio book for a little while, waiting to kind of like get until the plane was kind of done doing its ascent and ascent. everything, yeah. I open up my bag and I'm just like, oh no, there's just no laptop in there. So I had Whoa. a solid two and a half hours of just like that gut churning, what yeah. did I do? No. you know, And also just kind of worrying whether TSA had it, if it's some dude just picked it up because it was sitting there, you know, all of this kind of stuff was going right. through my head. But I emailed TSA, they got back to me that same day saying that they had it, and it's getting shipped to me. It should be here in the next day or two, uh, which leads me to my final point of the deuce I'll be dropping. Um, <laughs> so I was planning you dropped on a deuce when you realized you didn't have it. Exactly. So the video I was planning on putting out Thursday, which was the same day I was I was flying, I was going to land and then post the video, is a video that I did with Ben Paik, the same dude we were just talking about. This guy's getting too many mentions this episode. Holy cow. I know. Uh, but a couple months ago, the very first time we had met, uh, we, we actually built a quick, simple plywood stool that he features on. I think Ben has a quick feature in the video. Chris, you're in it too. Yes. Like this stool video is jam-packed with, with cameos from, from all the best. It's a dream team. It, it's not any kind of crazy build, but I think it's a cool, uh, cool experiment because we used bungee cords as the footrests. Rather than running pegs, it's it's a three-legged stool. The legs are dowels with a mm -hmm. carved plywood top. And instead of doing any kind of runners for, for kind of footrests, we wrapped bungee cords in a really interesting way. And since then, I've found that you can actually get bulk bungee cords, too, material without any hooks on either of the ends. So mm. I've got a few projects kind of lined out where I'll be experimenting with that kind of as a material because... I don't know that I've seen it really much anywhere. I, I had messed around with paracord not too long ago, and I think I like this a little bit more just because mm. it just, you know, in its nature, it's always keeping tension. So whenever you're using it, 
you've always got really clean straight lines because it's always holding itself taut. And it's really, really cheap on Amazon too. You can get it in 25 foot, 100 foot rolls and diameters all the way up to, I think, a half of an inch and all the way down to either a 32nd or a 64th of an inch. Jeez. So I think there's a lot of room for kind of versatility between getting some of the really thin paracord and maybe using that to make some kind of wallet or something, kind of basically using that as thread for stitching or, you know, doing kind of structural stuff with that quarter inch, half inch thick stuff. But I don't know. I've just been excited to dip my foot back into some renovation content. Um, I think a lot of new viewers to my channel, I think a lot of them found me either through the bathroom renovation or through a couple of the other renovation videos I've done. So I definitely want to keep putting content out that those people will be really excited about. Nice. So the subject matter of what we want to talk about today is big projects. Seems kind of simple, but Mike, as he described, is just about to start a complete renovation project. Uh, Chris is, you know, doing a whole series, uh, you know, project of outdoor furniture that's resulting in a series of videos. And I'm in the middle of like a th- three or four projects that are that are kind of big, from building the house, by the way, still waiting for permits, uh, to a new series of videos that are for beginners that want to get into metalworking. So I thought the topic for today we'd be just talking about. When you sort of break from your normal routine in a normal sort of size of a project and you start taking on something that's more complicated, has more moving parts, more variables, just start talking about some of the challenges that we're experiencing and also some of the excitement about the the scale of these things and what we're dealing with. So, you know, Chris, you sort of, you know, the the question that you sort of had was sort of how to package this, how to deliver it and how to put this and present this to an audience is used to seeing individual things. Right. Um, out of curiosity. Mike, what are some of the challenges? Well, I was going to actually talk about Chris's project a little bit more. Um, even yeah. outside of the kind of how am I going to put this put this out, you know what I mean? How am I going to put the content out is, did it change your workflow up? Yeah, it actually made the workflow a little bit easier for me because I built it, like obviously I'm still filming everything, but I did it kind of in a way as if I wasn't. I still went about building it as if I were just building it. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, if I was just making, and part of the luxury that I have right now is I'm working kind of ahead. So like these are videos that are going to come out in early to mid July. These will come out. Oh, okay. And so if I was having to do it like the week of, then I probably would have to kind of like do it video by video. But since I'm working ahead right now, like I got everything built, had everything filmed and then went and did all my finishing and, you know, sanding and finishing. So I built it the way that you would naturally build it. And now the, the task is going to be like making sure all of my footage is not getting mixed up because I have like, you know, it's not chronological the way that we're used to doing things. So I'm going to have to like kind of just make sure everything's in the right folders and labeled the right way. But um, yeah, it actually made things a lot easier from that point of view. And I guess the challenge actually for me was more of like a design challenge because it's, okay, how do I build or how do I come up with these things that are going to be at least two, maybe three projects that can stand on their own, but still come together and make something bigger. So obviously it's going to be most interesting if you see all three of them together, but they still have to be where like, if you wanted to just build this bench, you could just build this bench. Or if you wanted to just do this big storage seating thing, you could just do that. And I think that I think that they're going to work. Like I made them different enough. And actually that was one of the things. So when I first designed it, I was like, this is cool as one thing, but like they're too similar. So I started thinking, well, how do I make it still tie together, but different aesthetically? So I, I ended up like scrapping the original bench that I came up with and, and used a totally different idea because I thought like, okay, this stands alone a lot better than, than the first idea has, or at least it's not going to make the second idea, like, well, I don't even want to watch this because I've already seen how to build a smaller version of this in the first video. So those have been kind of the challenges, but I think in a way it's a nice challenge to have because it's just like another reason to push yourself out of outside of doing what is most natural to you of designing everything the same and saying like, okay, well that's not interesting. So what else can I do? Totally. So when it came to like construction methods, did you, I mean, aside from completely scrapping the first bench, were there times Mm -hmm. where 
you would have probably wanted to do, you know, a, a certain cut this way or, or join things a certain way, but because you did it in the previous video, you switched it up on the last one? Or did you use that as an opportunity to say, like, I was able to build all of these th three things with similar construction methods, which kind of makes everything really repeatable in a way? So that's what I, that's like the big thing that I strayed away from. A, a Initially, everything was like box construction. Yeah. And so one of my ideas was like, okay, I can in one video, like do it the way that I normally do it. In another video, I can just use like circular saws and routers or something like that. But I was like, ah, oh, they're still going to like kind of just look the same to, you know, people might not even know it was two separate videos or something. So I decided to instead do the whole bench instead of making it a box. I made it more of like a stacked plywood thing, kind of like the way that I would, I would kind of relate it to the bed that Johnny Brook and I built together. It's more similar to that construction method. And then the second video will be more like casework type of construction. Awesome. Mike, what are you what are you sort of uh, getting into? Are you going to be doing like full, you know, bathtub installation and tile and all that kind of stuff as well or like what's how, you know, what's the extent of this remodel? So this one's going to be kind of a ground up one. I mean, I'm not taking it to the studs, but I but every fixture, every every surface basically is going to be updated or replaced. Mm -hmm. uh, so the reason Home Depot is really interested in being involved in it is they have a, a Delta product or a product by Delta. I think it's called UpStyle, which is a uh, I don't know if you're familiar with like bath fitter, but it's kind of like a from from what I understand, I still got to do a little research, is it's basically like a shower and tub unit that can fit over the existing one. Um, and so that's kind of what they want to really promote is that and then the kind of shower fixture. But aside from that, I kind of really have free reign. So I'll be building a new vanity, uh, new light fixtures. I'm going to be, I'm really brainstorming hard on how I can come up with a unique DIY floor. Whenever we were out in Joshua Tree, me and Ben were brainstorming on it, on it a bit. And I think it would be really cool to do some sort of CNC carved Corian floor because it would really only take one or two sheets of Corian to be able to do it. But I didn't do it quick enough. You know, I was going to steal Ben's X carve for it. But now I'm thinking of how I can do it in a little bit more of an analog way rather than CNC carve something. But how I could take some kind of raw material and turn that into a really unique piece of kind of flooring. Basically, the constraints are it needs to be waterproof. And it needs to be unique in some way. So I'm open to the idea of cutting up tiles myself and kind of arranging them in an interesting way. Um, it'll be meeting. There's carpet in the hallway. So there's always that idea of some sort of wood to tile transition that I've been wanting to try for a while. Mm -hmm. um, but but yeah, right now I've just been racking my brain kind of reading a lot making sure i'm doing everything proper yeah. uh, so that i make sure i do all this responsibly gotcha my, my suggestion for the floor if you want to do a unique uh take on a on a bathroom floor would be you know home depot is great because they have their you're, you're not going to beat them in price too much mm -hmm. but if you go to like a super high-end tile place they'll have way more options both in terms of like the amount of dimensions and stuff like that so one thing that you could do to sort of elevate the things that are sort of affordable is when it comes to stone, stone is stone. So if you get like marble tiles at uh, Home Depot, you know, it's still, you can get real stone. So it's not like it's fake or anything, but they're going to only come in a few different dimensions. But let's say you get some of the large format uh, sort of white marble tiles. So they kind of like 12 by 12 ones. Uh, they have 12 by 12. They also have 12 by 24. They also have slate too. And I've used them to make planters and tabletops and all sorts of cool stuff. So you could take something like that, and that's like a very basic dimension. But you could then get a tile saw. They're not that expensive. And you could like resaw them. So you could make them in a much more sort of like modern, more contemporary design pattern, which would be like 4-inch by 24-inch slivers. Mm -hmm. Then you could feather that into sort of wood flooring that's also 4 inches wide, right, for example. So there's sort of, uh, sort of like interlocking finger joints and, and sort of that. So just doing a little thing like that might uh, create just that, you know, you're taking a material that looks familiar. You know, you can't go wrong with like any sort of natural stone. Um, and then just sort of tweaking the dimensions to make it a little bit more one-off and custom. And I think something like that could be, uh, you know, you're still using a affordable material. But, you know, whenever I go into like a high-end tile place, you know, and you'll you'll look at tile that's like 20 to 40 dollars a square foot 
it's still just stone. You know, they might have more color options and weight. They have all these different dimensional options, but often you're paying more just to have them re resaw it into a more of the moment design, uh, uh, you know, scale. So that could be a fun tip. Have you done any like research into, you know, like the, the water resistant gypsum board? Are you going to go with like concrete board? Like, have you gotten that far uh, yet? You mean for like where the shower is going to be? Or yeah. For, like the backer board and stuff. What? Uh, so I think all that's going to stay, what's there now is what I will use unless there needs to be patches made anywhere. Um, so I have to assume there's going to be some kind of the like concrete backer board or the kind of like cement type board behind mm-hmm. it whenever I pull the old shower pan out. Um, but the game plan is kind of to, to keep what's there unless I have to change it. Why do you ask? Oh, it's just that uh, often when I done any sort of renovation especially on older houses especially from like the 70s or 80s they often used like just gypsum board as the the backer and it's it's not good just like plain drywall right you really want to use a cementitious uh product because that'll resist moisture whereas gypsum over time you know if it gets wet will kind of just rot away yeah the one big thing i'm not looking forward to on this i mean aside from any kind of plumbing is scraping the popcorn ceilings Oh, oh that is gross. never fun. I don't know if you guys have done that before, but it's such a mess. Break out the new Ryobi uh, shop vac. Oh, yeah, probably one. will. Figure out some way of hooking that up to a putty knife or, you know, one of the scraper yeah. things so it kind of catches it as it scrapes off. Make a whole video on that. Uh, well, I was going to say, Mike, are you doing, is this all going to be one big video or is this a series? It'll be one big video. Oh. It'll probably be about 12 minutes if I have to guess. I was going to say, yeah, this sounds like a big one. This is a big undertaking. Yeah, I think... If anything becomes its own video, it'll be uh, how to make a floating vanity, because mm-hmm. uh, I think a lot of people would be interested in that. But the, yeah, the most of it sense. is all kind of, the rest of it's mostly kind of just renovation type stuff. Yeah, and the vanity is more in your wheelhouse of like the normal content than people are yeah. used to. Yeah, and I think, you know, I a lot of, I don't I don't know, I don't know where the, where the right and wrong on this, but where my mindset leads is most people watch my content kind of for the, for the design ideas and then for kind of the how to build things from wood. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times when I see other people do a home renovation content, they'll break it down into so many individual videos where, you know, if they're replacing all of the outlets, they'll make a video on, you know, how to replace electrical outlets. If they're replacing one of the light fixtures, they'll do a whole video on that or, you know, and really piece it up so much to where, I think ultimately I would rather have a bathroom renovation video that does, you know, a million, million and a half views than 10 videos that get a hundred thousand a piece. Right. So I'm, I'm kind of shooting for the grand slam rather than, you know, bunting and kind of getting on base. Yep. Hitting singles. But exactly. What about you, Ben? What's, what's going on in the big project world? (laughs) Well, it's funny. So there's, I'm kind of involved with a few right now. Right. And they all were presenting different challenges. With the the tiny house, we're still waiting on permits. And it's, man, it is, it's been just a brutal process. So, you know, every single time we've gotten feedback and they've asked us to change anything, I've, you know, turned around the drawings, got my architecture team, engineers, you know, pay whatever it takes to sort of get the, the design updated and to meet their requirements and then immediately submit them. And then I just wait for two weeks and don't hear anything from them. And it had gotten to, you know, it's it's gotten to the point where it's a little bit ridiculous. So I'm in that sort of, you know, tricky point of I needed to apply a little bit of pressure without being an asshole, right? Because it's really easy when you're dealing with any sort of bureaucracy to, you know, it's like like being on hold with like customer service. It's really easy to lose your temper. Yeah. but the more you lose your temper and the more you show how disgruntled and upset you are, the one, no one likes to help uh, someone that's being a dick. And two, <laughs> right. uh, people also get defensive and it makes them be more cautious and make sure they don't make a mistake, which might make them go slower. So, uh, you know, I had been submitting the designs to the, the building department and then they actually send them out to a third party reviewer. And the third-party reviewer was sending back feedback that just was totally, I could tell, was cut and pasted mm-hmm. and didn't, they hadn't thoroughly reviewed my drawings. So I would submit the design for the house, which is single-story, slab-on grade. And they would send back things like, okay, you need uh, these things and they need to be in the basements and stuff like that. I'm like, 
All right, man. No basement. <laughs> exactly right. Um, and th- what they were doing was is they'd send back a page of revisions or uh, a PDF full of revisions that would be like ten pages long, and it would be like three or four things that were applicable, and then a whole bunch of things they just cut and paste in because they weren't sure and they just want to cover the base and do this do this and that's where the sort of basement comments were coming in so that's really upsetting because then what they're saying is like do all this stuff but a lot of so then you're sorting through and you're you're you have to make judgment calls of which ones of their revisions are actually applying to you which is not how it should be going so i had done three rounds of that and was starting to get a little frustrated and annoyed i submitted what i thought was going to be the final design and they sent back just two things that were completely one they were completely new things and they were both wrong uh and i was just furious so i called them and you know said look and everyone i talked to has been super polite at the sort of building department and it's most of the hassle has been through this sort of third-party checker and so you know it's funny i've been watching that tv show billions which is all about people trying to sort of leverage and do each other's and i was like that shows more about ego and just trying to like screw people over and make money and this isn't the case but it's a great lesson on sort of how to how to leverage people um but still keep them motivated and not turn them into enemies because just because you have leverage if you over utilize that you're going to make people not like you and you need particularly municipal agencies to to work well with you so it was a very delicate uh, conversation where I sort of had to let them know, look, you know, there's a housing shortage in California and part of it's due to extensive regulations. When you have a lot of regulations, that's good because that means the buildings getting built are built properly, but it's bad because it means it slows down the production of new housing, which is why sort of housing in California is so expensive. So there's, you know, I, I can definitely see both sides to, to that sort of argument. But there is this housing shortage, and that's becoming a political sort of issue that a lot of the, the you know the governors and stuff are, are running on. So I try to frame the, the conversation in that way to sort of say, look, we notice that I've been, you know, if, if you look at the points when you've gotten me feedback, I've always replied and got you updated drawings within like two or three days, which is crazy fast. And then you're doing all this and taking this long. I've, you know, complied, paid every single fee, tax, uh, and, and done every single thing by the book. Uh, you know, I haven't scrimped on the cost. I've, I've used all the best sort of engineers, geotechnical uh, surveyors, and all that kind of stuff. And used to write for Huffington Post and work with BuzzFeed, and I reach a lot of people. And you know, I'm pretty close to to sort of turning this over to sort of media and start to publicize. Hey, maybe this is why there's a housing crisis is because the municipal uh, the municipal agencies are really actually slow even when somebody has everything all lined up and ready to go yeah and uh you know i said you know i don't want to get anyone fired i yeah everyone's been great to whenever i talk to them but this just needs to happen faster and so that resulted in a you know in-person meeting with the sort of three managers that i needed to see went in sat down with them for for half an hour and we were able to sort of you know go through the drawings it was so much better to do it in person, worked it all out. Uh, then they were sort of curious about, you know, the nature of the shipping container thing. And, uh, you know, they're all, you know, most of the people that work for planning departments that are reviewing architectural designs have a background in architecture. Um, so th- there is some interest there. So it ended up actually cementing the relationship and making us all sort of friendly. And, you know, hopefully we should be getting the the, the plan soon. But the, the big takeaway from it is I should have expected this going in. Mm-hmm. Um, and my takeaway, if I, you know, I'm sure I'll go through this process again. But what I'll do differently next time is look more for, like, make, take that one extra step. So my tendency is to do as little computer work as possible, get away from the computer and go build stuff and do fun stuff. So often if I, like, upload or submit something right so let's say i did the next round of revisions to the architectural drawings i'll submit it and they'll be okay i'm done with that and i run off what i should be doing is then following up with the phone call and then recording the date and the name of the person and having a thing and then every time i talk to the next person referencing that i'm tracking all those things just to let people know that you're keeping an eye on them you're keeping records 
you know who they are. Not to be like Liam Neeson and scary about it, but uh, <laughs> a particular but I do set have of a very particular set of skills. I have a particular right. set of plans. I would like you to overlook. My mistake, um, and you know, I, th- I think when any of these situations, you should always, obviously, the third pa- plan, or, uh, the third party plan checker made a ton of mistakes, but you still you can't fix always who you sort of work with, but you can fix what you sort of do. And what what I learned that I'll have to do next time is one, just be every time I send any correspondence, you know, reference the last person I talked to, the date, the time, every time I submit something, demand sort of a positive feed, you know, not feedback saying, hey, that was great, but just saying, yes, we got it. Yes, it's now in the next step. And it's this person with this name at this time, guaranteeing that it's moving on to the next step. Because what what sort of happened was it was delays by a thousand cuts of just people were stretching it out. And I would submit something and it's their responsibility to then take it and do it, but people don't always do their responsibilities. And then I would call back a week later being like, I haven't got back to it. Oh yeah. Oh, now I see it. Right. Right. Um, you know, so oh, go ahead. just learning to, to when something is, isn't out of your, it's not as simple just to do your half and then rely on other people. It's like you, you got to take it all the way when you're the one that has the time constraints. Yeah. The, yeah. One of the first things that I started thinking about when you were talking, Ben, was what ultimately happened was like, why isn't it where you can get like a face to face with these people? Because you could probably accomplish. Yeah. in like, you know, an hour, what would take weeks of going back and forth online with. And I don't know about you guys, but like, so Mike, industrial maker, Mike Clifford is going to be coming in town this Friday and we're going to be collaborating on a few projects. And like whenever I'm planning something out, even like that, which is obviously much smaller, you know, I will go back and forth with some emails and texts. But eventually the two of us were just like, let's just hop on a call because like in a half an hour, we'll accomplish more than we did in the other two weeks of just 100%. being able to like say like, Look, now we're both looking at the same thing. Everybody knows what we're talking about. All the information is there. It's funny because, like, yeah, we live in a world now where there's so much digital communication that in a lot of ways makes everything faster. But then it almost like because it's a crutch we can lean on, it gets in the way of the the situations where actually just getting face to face and just nailing things down would would be way more proficient. Yeah, there's sort of there's 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 huge advantages to talking in person but there are some limitations in this case it would be like if somebody gave you a 10 page contract to review like an employment contract and then sat there and watched you know said hey we're doing it in person right 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 it's hard to review a document that long in a meeting right you kind of have to go away and do that and with architectural drawings you know it's a 15 page drawing set 24 by 36 inch pdf so it's going to take some time they got to look at the drawings, look at the building code. And this building as a shipping container building is not normal. So it's a lot of, so I understand that part, but you're right. It's like, you know, effective communication is sort of mixing both those things at the right time. Um, Not the biggest fan of email, but the other reason why it's relied upon in situations like this is that there's a written record of the correspondence, whereas a conversation, you could have a half an hour long meeting and each party goes off on their own and they have a totally two different versions of what they think the to-do list is right um and so even when you do have that meeting you got to recap you know follow hey great meeting with you the other day here's the takeaways i'm going to do please confirm that this is everything that needs to be accomplished and then you like bullet point out the five items because you may forget one in the sort of you know verbal informality so that project's hopefully hopefully we should have permits in the next couple weeks but the the more fun big project that i'm working on is a new video series uh, of metalworking for beginners. So, you know, after seeing sort of Mike's sort of no weld projects, uh, you know, thinking about my own interest in working more with steel, and then also realizing that welding is kind of like the big step where steel work gets more expensive and more complicated, I want to see if there's a way to do a whole series right up to the point of welding, right? How do you get used to buying steel, working with it, uh, cutting it, shaping it, and do all the things up right into before welding. And the, I published the first video, which was just turning uh, steel L-sections into brackets. You know, the hardest part for woodworking is connecting the pieces. And if you're, especially if you're working with lumber that's warped. And we had this huge pile of mulberry boards that are, I mean, Mike, you've seen them. They're they're a disaster. <laughs> they're they're pretty checked. warped. <laughs> they're checked. They're warped, and the wood's like really hard, and it like splits yeah. easy. So you could like they look go great th- though. Great color. 
Yeah, you could go through like a million planar blades to try to like totally flatten them out and spend a ton of time. But then you'd end up with like half inch thick boards mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that were finally straight out of like, you know, 10 hours of work just to get straight thin stock. Um, so using, uh, you know, we made a very simple bench where we just cut these cool little shaped uh, brackets out of uh, steel angles and just using an angle grinder, which is, you know, $40 tool. And uh, yeah, came out great. Um, that led to some experimentation with brass angles, which I used to uh, for a dollar shave club integration. I just made like a little shelf out of it, and uh, yeah. And up next, we got the the bending metal, which I sort of teased on Instagram. Which I mean, I think that that Instagram post where I'm just bending the metal using two by fours and like three or four dollar clamps from Home Depot. That one video is like. 550,000 views on Instagram. Um, and so I think there's uh, a, a lot of potential sort of sort of there. So what's fun about this project is it's broken down into a bunch of bite-sized pieces. Uh, where, And I think that's the key with any large project is sort of how you segment it so it doesn't feel like you're overwhelmed in the moment, mm-hmm. but you just have a long to-do list, but a to-do list of things that are all easy to cross off. Right, and kind of each one of the videos introduces one new aspect of, you know, working with metal up to the point of, I mean, I would imagine eventually some sort of welding project, right? Right, right. And so I don't know a lot about metal working, so I don't have to research it all ahead of time. I only have to research it one project at a time, which makes it uh, a lot easier. And each project sort of gives me ideas for the next one. So right now I'm planning it. It makes it a lot more of a manageable experiment, too, because it's experimenting just with that one aspect. Right. So right now it's going to probably be like a four or five uh, project series. Um, I'm going to experiment more with the series editor on YouTube, nice. uh, which will hopefully sort of, you know, consolidate them a little bit more. But uh, yeah, looking forward to it. Awesome. Well, what are you guys obsessed with this week? I'm going to go ahead and kick it off. Do it. Um, I want to give a big shout out to, to the homeboy, Matt Cremona. Uh, a long while ago, maybe like six months ago, eight months ago, he finished that giant homemade sawmill the band sawmill that he did yep and i just saw that he released uh the plans for it they're like now available which i think is really amazing like he's got full-on pdf like plans for building a giant sawmill completely from scratch i'm building mine this weekend i just right exactly (laughs) that's that's part of the patio set right yep Um, but no, I just think it's really awesome that, you know, we're on the topic of big projects and that was an incredibly huge project, but he somehow managed to one format it in a interesting kind of way of, you know, the way he was able to kind of piece this content together weekly and then eventually round it all out by producing plans for such a huge project so other people can do it too. So shout out Matt Cremona. Good stuff. I will give Ben a break for talk, from talking for a second because he talked a bunch a minute ago. And I'll say my obsession is NBA stuff because <laughs> it's a weird thing to have an obsession about. <laughs> but today, the day that we're listening to this is the draft. I got to say, man, as a Lakers fan, I am very High optimistic <laughs> of the future. We got Kawhi <laughs> Leonard wants to be traded here. I, I'm convinced as a very biased Lakers fan, I'm convinced that LeBron James is coming here now. Oh, because think gosh. about it. It's too perfect. Oh, gosh. Think about it. Okay. Yeah, and Carmelo isn't going to sign his contract extension in OKC. <laughs> Wishful thinking. No, but look at Exactly. We are poised right now. Okay, what's, what's the premier matchup in all of basketball? Like LeBron you, uh, versus the Warriors. No, no, no. Teams, teams, teams. Warriors and, and someone else. I well, don't know. Where are you going? Historically, it would be Lakers versus Celtics. That's the the premier matchup of the NBA. Celtics are poised to be coming out of the East for like the next four years. Like their team's so stacked and they were good this year and missing their two best players. Now LeBron comes here. Kawhi Leonard comes here. We got ourselves like four good years of Lakers versus Celtics again. Yeah, I hear that. My only argument is LeBron is in the longevity game. I don't think he's going to go to the West where he's going to have a harder regular season. And then beyond that, what you just said, Boston is so good and so young. All they need is a good veteran. They could get Kyrie out, uh, you know, to clear up some cap space. You think they're getting him? I don't know. 
I don't know. Either that or, you know, I would like to see him go to the Sixers, too. I think that would be a fun fun team to watch because they're also kind of young, yeah. fast, and, and can keep the tempo up so LeBron doesn't have to do so much. I, I don't get – okay, the, the thing that you said about him coming to the West is a harder road. I get that a little bit. The one I never uh-huh. get is, like, they'll say, like, there's no way the Spurs are going to trade Kawhi to the Lakers because why do they want to help out a team that is their competition? Right. It's like – that makes sense if you only played against one other team. I just don't get that as a legitimate thing. I think you 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 make your decision based on like what do you get in return that's the best, not like well we don't want to help yeah. this team out. Hey, and if you already know you've got an asset that won't be coming back after his contract is up, get it, you know what I mean? Like get some value out of him while you can. Yeah, and come on, commissioner, just you know, use your leverage. Let's get this to happen. It's good for business for it to be Lakers versus Celtics. Let's make this happen. Yeah, maybe I don't know. L.A. <laughs> needs some some new blood, anyways. So yeah, I'm optimistic. I think the yeah. I, I think at the at the worst, the Lakers will be bad for like you know three or four years in a row, and then they'll sort of yeah. figure it out. Yeah, they usually don't have too long of a dry spell. Yeah, but what are you obsessed with, Ben? Wait, so you know, cut. Uh, did I talk about the Michael Pollan interview with Tim Ferriss about like psychedelic nope. drugs? Uh huh. Okay. Okay. So my obsession is uh, a podcast, and uh, it's an interview with Tim Ferriss and Michael Pollan. So Michael Pollan is a brilliant scientific researcher and journalist. He wrote the book, The Omnivore's Dilemma, which I think is probably one of the best books written uh, recently about sort of food. And he wrote a new book called How to Change Your Mind. And it's about the sort of science of psychedelics, things like... uh, uh, you know, psilocybin mushrooms and LSD and all kinds of stuff like that. And he's, you know, he's on this sort of book promotion tour. So he did a an interview with Joe Rogan. He did one with Tim Ferriss. Um, they're both great. I would recommend if you if you like Joe Rogan, listen to the Joe Rogan one. If you don't normally listen to Joe Rogan, I would say listen to the Tim Ferriss one. Uh, Tim's a little bit more dry and a little bit less uh, wacky. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're it's it's brilliant, right? You. You hear something be sort of uh, sort of debunked, right? Where a lot of the associations with sort of uh, you know acid or uh, you know psilocybin uh, are you know we get them from like movie you know from like musicians, and we think of like you know uh, the Doors, or we think of movies like Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, mm-hmm. and so there's these kind of like wacky, weird things. Oh, that's what happens at Burning Man. But to hear someone who's a a brilliant sort of researcher who knows this sort of science actually talk about how they work, what they do, what they're like, and uh, thoroughly sort of investigate them from an incredibly uh, credible uh, position was fascinating because you, you literally can see the sort of, you know, the stigma sort of, uh, uh, sort of broken away. Um, So it's, uh, it's, it's fantastic. And, you know, he, he shares anecdotes about, you know, a lot of uh, famous and brilliant, successful people that have sort of used these things that you would totally be surprised about. I mean, it's something that I had first heard about when uh, I think it was a was a hearing Steve Jobs sort of talk about them as being one of the most creative experiences he's ever had. But you know, you sort of hear that, and you're like, "Is that urban legend? Is that really true?" So to hear someone that that really knows their stuff uh, uh, research something that's often seen at the sort of margins of society was was really cool um so definitely check it out either the tim ferris interview with michael Pollan or the the joe rogan one nice can we name this episode incredibly credible incredibly Incredibly credible credible. (laughs) (laughs) i was just gonna call it big projects and big was gonna be in all caps whoa i like projects on acid tackling (laughs) big projects on acid (laughs) (laughs) awesome well thank you guys for listening we hope you enjoyed this episode if you're not already we are at modern maker podcast on instagram that's where you get updates for things like the 100th episode party we're throwing or the maker brand stuff all this stuff that we're doing you can find more info there individually we are at modern builds at benjamin ueda and at four eyes furniture respectively uh thank you this is the last week that I'm not asking for a review. That's not what this is. I'm just reminding you that I'm not doing it. But next it. week, man. Woo! <laughs> Watch out next week. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you guys for listening. Until next time, this has been the Modern Maker Podcast. Bye, everybody. See ya. All right, don't hit stop. Bye. There we go.